In the name of the Father and Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. We continue to study the book of James, chapter 3. We'll start from verse 15. Just remember quickly that St. James is talking about two different types of wisdom. Wisdom that is from the earth and wisdom that is from God. So right now, St. James is going to explain to us what is the difference between wisdom. You can have somebody who is a consultant at McKenzie or somebody who graduated from a big Ivy League university and he could be a great consultant. But what's the difference between earthly wisdom and a heavenly wisdom? This is what St. James is going to explain for us. He says, the earthly wisdom, this wisdom, does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. It's earthly, sensual, and demonic. When it says it's earthly, it means that it's driven by earthly forces, earthly desires. What's the ultimate goal of the, of the earthly wisdom? It is wisdom to satisfy the self. Wisdom to satisfy the body. What's the desiring force? It is earthly forces. He says it's not of this life. It's sorry, of this life. It's not a spiritual wisdom. It does not include spiritual principles. Like when people make decisions, they don't care if I have to lie. They don't care if I have to cheat. They don't care if I have to manipulate people. It does not include spiritual principles. What it does, it's of this life. The last characteristic of it, it says it's demonic. Means it is inspired by evil thoughts that are hostile to God. That are hostile to God. You know, for example, what's a good example of this earthly wisdom? If you guys remember when we studied the book of 1 Samuel, what happened is a story of Amun, who was the son of David, and he desired, he lusted for his sister. So his advisor came and told him, why don't you act like you're sick and then ask your dad to bring in your sister and then you can go in and take, fulfill your lust, your sexual desires. That is an earthly wisdom. The solution he gave him is a solution that achieves evil results. It's not a good results. Sometimes, for example, when uh, couples are fighting, or parents are fighting, okay? And then somebody comes in with earthly wisdom. Instead of trying to reconcile the couples, what they do is they cause more division. They come to one and be like, you know, what is your right? You have to defend your right. Do you remember what, what this person did to you? Do you remember what this person did to you? Sometimes people encourage couples to split their finances. Sometimes people encourage couples to spend behind each other's back some, some money. Some, pe some, some people might come and encourage couples to do things uh, in secret against the other couple. You know, you can, you can hang out behind your spouse. You don't have to let her, let her or let him know where you are. You know what? You can spend money behind your spouse back. You don't let, you need to let him know. People come with wisdom that is earthly. Somebody says, well, I'm not happy with my marriage anymore. Earthly wisdom will say, you know what? You know, just run for your life, divorce and move on. Earthly wisdom. It does not fight for what is from above. You come to people and tell them, you have 
you have a problem and the problem you have is a spiritual problem. You need to pray and fast. People say, okay, whatever. We're not going to pray. We're not going to fast. I could do this on my own. Earthly wisdom. It's demonic. It's from this earth. It is not from above. And then St. James says, for where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil things are there. Look at this word, confusion. What St. James is saying is what? He's saying, whenever you have this type of earthly wisdom, there is envy and self-seeking, what happens? There is confusion. There is disorder. Things don't make sense anymore. Things don't make sense anymore. You guys know, for example, you see people doing things that are the opposite of each other. And you find somebody to say, to claim that they are very health conscious and they're very careful about what they eat. They're very careful about going to the gym. They're very careful about doing this stuff. And in the same time, they have no problem smoking or vaping or, or doing all this stuff. That's confusion. Which one are you? Are you health conscious? Or are you not? Somebody cares about looking healthy and looking beautiful, but at the same time, they have, a pro they have no problem messing up with alcohol or things that ruin their health. Some people say, we can't fast. Fast is too difficult. But then at the same time, if there's a chance for intermittent fasting, they'll fast to lose weight. Confusion. Confusion. It's a spiritual problem, and people want to use earthly methods to solve a spiritual problem. Find, for example, a servant or an uncle who wants the kids to respect the church. So instead of teaching them how to respect the church, he would yell at them. Earthly wisdom, confusion. By yelling, you're disrespecting the church yourself. People go to read the church fathers so they can show off. The reading the church fathers should encourage you to be humble. Earthly wisdom. People coming to church and trying to live a spiritual life and still their main focus is how can I gain earthly reward? People see me, people talk highly, talk highly of me, making certain friendship. Self-seeking and envy leads to confusion, does not add up. When somebody serves and they walk around complaining about their co-servants or complaining about their kids, that's a spiritual problem. When somebody decides to marry somebody that do not share with them basic Christian beliefs, Well, that's a confusion. Some people think because, for example, they make donations to the church, they feel like they own the church. But that's confusion. That's earthly wisdom. He says, wherever there's that confusion, he says, there is, there is there what's happening, there is every evil thing. What does that mean? It means that the devil will never stop at a certain point. You start by defending yourself. The next day you judge people. The next day you start cursing them out. 
the next day you start hating, the next day you start committing violence, the next, and so on. He's never gonna stop at a certain level of evil. He continues to push more and more evil in our life. If I allow this earthly wisdom to penetrate my life, I'm going to introduce every evil. People trying to make profits, they start using lying and cheating and, and, and manipulating the system and making profit. Earthly wisdom. And then what happens? They become rich, become rich. But you have allowed evil in your house. But then, look, but he's going to make, he's going to make, St. James is going to make a distinction between what is the wisdom from above look like. But, is the, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure. Number one, it's pure. Peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Be careful. When he's talking about wisdom, he's not talking about a decision-making process. He's talking about characteristics of what his wisdom should look like. He says, number one, it's pure. What does it mean it's pure? It means it has good intention and good means to get to that goal. Like you can't say, for example, you know, I, I, I shoplifted because uh, I did not want to burden my parents with financial, with financial uh, burden. That's an evil mean to a good, maybe good uh, goal. And vice versa. Like if you guys remember in the scripture, Pontius Pilate, he says, he says I, 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 Jesus is innocent and he washed his hands and his wife came and told him, you know, this is an innocent blood. And he, in front of everybody, he showed that Jesus is innocent. But then what, what's the end goal? He drove him into evil means. So wisdom that is from above is pure. You know what is pure means? It means it's transparent. You know, all of us like to work with people who have principles. I know exactly how they think. I'm not going to get something today and tomorrow something different. People who manipulate and lie and, and use devious ways... They are following an earthly wisdom. When you see the three young youth, when the king said, you did not worship, they did not lie. They said, yeah, we're not going to worship. Their life is on the line. It does not matter. The second characteristic of the wisdom from above, it's gentle. You know, sometimes people who know more than you, they like to show off. And when people introduce themselves, they like to say, I am Mr. So-and-so and Dr. So-and-so and MD and PhD and all the Ds in there. Okay? So people like to show off. That's a big thing. But the wisdom from above is gentle. You know, like sometimes two people can say exactly the same thing, the same concept. One person can hurt people's feeling and the other can say it in a nice way where it's acceptable. Right now in our, in our society, people are very big on cancel culture. 
What is cancel culture? If you made a mistake, not today. If you made a mistake 10 years ago, okay, and somehow somebody was able to dig it out and bring it up to the, to the open, you must be crushed down by everybody and shamed and embarrassed. Is this gentle wisdom? This is evil wisdom. Evil wisdom. God closes his eyes from, from people's sin, covers their sins. But people now want to expose people and crush them and shame them and make fun of them. Demonic wisdom. He says the heavenly wisdom is willing to yield. You know what it means willing to yield? It means like a wise person that is heavenly, that is spiritual, if he hears a better idea than what he has, he'll say, yes, I agree with you. You guys remember in the story of Moses, Moses the prophet, he was a judge of two million people. And then his father-in-law came to him and told him, look, the system you're using to judge people is terrible. What does it mean you sit all day long Judge one after the other after the other. This is so inefficient. So Moses told him, to, what, what do you suggest? He told him, I think you should break the, the people into different groups. You have a judge for uh, this group and then a judge over 100, a judge over 1,000, a judge over 10,000. It's almost like the court system we have right now. Local court, state court, federal court, and so on. Moses, the prophet, who's a judge, and all his life is a judge. When he heard this advice from his father-in-law, he says, yes, you're right. I will yield. Elisha, the prophet, when the prophets were with him, told him, look, the place we sit in is too small. We need to move somewhere else. He says, whatever you see, I'll go with you. The worldly wisdom, by the way, if it finds a better idea, you know what does, what does it do? Sometime it kills it. And later on, people bring this idea back to life as if it's their, their own idea. Because it's driven by selfishness, by envy. St. James, so you know, all, all our life you might think of wisdom as making decision. Wisdom is about, a lot of it is about the intention about the character, about the shape of the heart that is making that decision. It says, wisdom is full of mercy and good, full of mercy and good fruits. What does that mean? Wisdom is merciful. Yeah, and when somebody makes mistake, I don't step on them. And it's full of every good fruits. What does that mean, good for every good fruits? It brings people closer to God. It builds home. It raises children. It reconciles people. It creates great ideas. It encourages the weak. It develops talents. It's full of every good fruit. That is heavenly wisdom. A wisdom, its main goal is a ministry of reconciliation between people and God and people and each other. That's the wisdom 
that comes from heaven. And he says it's impartial. Impartial means it's straightforward. It does not doubt, and it's not being divided. You guys remember St. Empress? He was a bishop of Milan. And then when the emperor, the emperor himself, imagine the president, the emperor committed a sin. St. Empress told him, you will stand in the back of the church with the repentance. He stayed in the back of the church for six months. The emperor could not take communion. Because it is impartial. It does not treat people who have more wealth or more education or more attraction, whatever it is, better than others. It's actually a wisdom that trusts people and opens its heart to people. People who are always saying, I can't trust people, I doubt this, I doubt that, and overthinkers sometimes, they need to reconsider what kind of wisdom they have. Because they might be too much depending on themselves, too much depending on their own thinking and their own ability. And he says, this wisdom from above, he says, is without hypocrisy. And it's mean it's an honest wisdom. Or some other time people use the word without flattering. You know, sometime you go to, to a person and because you want something from them, and by the way, this is a trick you can, you can do it with anybody. If you want something from them, you can flatter them. Oh, you're so wonderful. Oh, you're so beautiful. Oh, you're so lovely. All right? That's an earthly wisdom. You guys remember in the book of Acts, when Herod the king, people owed him money. So they gathered around him. And because they owed him money, they wanted to please him. So whenever he spoke, they told him, this is a voice of God, not a voice of a human being. See how much the flattering reached? The point that they made the king almost like a god. You know what happened immediately? God struck him and he was dead immediately because he did not give the glory to God. So even though he's not the one who committed the flattering, but the earthly wisdom damages both sides. Spiritually. Damages both sides spiritually. And then the last verse, he says, Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is almost like the summary of this whole section. He says, the goal of you, the ability for you to have fruits of righteousness, fruits of righteousness, you must sow in peace. You have a mindset of peace, work for peace, foster peace. Your main goal is to become a peacemaker. That's why our Lord said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. People who foster peace, they start having the identity of God. They're actually the ones that build the community, that put it together. They are the glue that glues homes together, and youth together, and churches together, and people together. Why? Because they are, they're foster peace. Some people love divisions, and some people love to complain, and some people love to point out the faults and the problems with everything. That's people who are not fostering peace. They are not gonna. They're not gonna gain the fruit of peace. They're not gonna gain the the fruit of peace. 
so right now, just to quickly get a review, we finished chapter 3, and we see that St. James is sending a letter that we call it a very practical letter, and the focus of this prayer is to talk about problems that people are having, different types of problems. The last chapter, chapter 3, talked to them about the tongue, using your words, and then wisdom. Now chapter 4, he's going to kind of talk about the root cause of a lot of these problems. He's going to talk more about pride. Look what he says in chapter 4. He says, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? He's saying, look, what is, what, why do you guys have so much problems? Why do we fight? Why do you argue? Why do you have drama? Why do you go home complaining? Why are all these problems happening? You know, St. James almost using like a military image. Why do you fight? There's like a war going on. Okay, from the outside, it seems like I'm a victim. I fight because I'm a victim. I fight because this person is wrong. I fight because mom did this. I fight because Abuna did this. I fight because my brother did this. But he said, no. The cause is that there are desires that are warring in your own members, in your own body. Every time there is a problem between me and somebody, I have to go inside and say, what desires in my members? is pushing me to fight. It's preventing me from praying. It's preventing me from standing up and saying what's true. That's why the scripture says, nothing, nothing in the world except the lust of the eye, the big profit, the stock market, the big house, the big car, what? lust of the flesh, laziness, eating, sexual desire, entertainment, pride of life, control, power, money, authority. That's what's in the world. Sometimes you find, for example, people are even not willing to apologize. Because there's a desire inside their heart and inside their body to be prideful. You know, one of the most beautiful stories in the scripture, the story of Abraham and Lot, and explains this, this part very well. Abraham and Lot, they had so many livestock together. So many livestock together. And then the, 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 the workers of Abraham started fighting with the workers of Lot. We came cross, we cross, cross roads, you guys are taking our stuff. So they came to Abraham and they came to Lot. Abraham is older than Lot. And Abraham actually, God called him to leave and Lot told him, I'll come with you. And most of the blessing that Lot has is probably from Abraham. But look what Abraham told him. He told him, so Abraham said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herds and mine. For we are close relative. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go left, I will go right. If you go to the right, I will go to the left. Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of Jordan toward Zor was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out 
toward the east. The two men departed in company. Abraham lived in the land of Cana, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Salem. What happened? Abraham told him, look, look at all the lands. You go right, I go left. You go north, I go south. I'll give you whatever you want. Lot looked, and the Bible says what? Chose for himself. Oh, wow, this Sedum and Gomorrah area is green and it's nice. That's where I need to be. Anybody can look at Abraham and tell him, you're foolish. You're picking losses. You're going to lose. You pick a land that's not going to feed your, your, your animals. Why you make that stupid decision? He says, no, no, no. It is more important for me to have peace with my nephew than fighting for financial gains. And then what happened? Few after, after a while, Sedum and Gomorrah were destroyed. Lot left empty. And Abraham hosted him again and took care of him again. Why are we fighting? Why is there problems? He says, because there's a problem inside of us. And then he says, you lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. What is he saying here? He's saying, look, you guys are breaking down the community. Breaking down the church. Why are they breaking down the church? He says, because you, you lust and do not have. The issue is, is that the desires that's growing inside your member will never have enough. Will never have enough. If you're seeking self-entertainment, you will never have enough self-entertainment. No, nobody who is rich is going to say, oh, I've had enough richness. I'll stop here. He said, you want something, but you don't get it. It's not you don't get it because you don't get it. It's because you don't get it because you don't know what is it that you want. That probably even if you get it, you will not notice it. That's why in Jeremiah, when God looked at the people and said, my people have two problems. They have done two evils. What are the two evils they've done? They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and they hooned them, them out, cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. He said, those people, they forsake me, and just coming in with almost like a jar that has holes in it. You want money? Whole, you will never have enough, no matter how much you get. You want honor from people, never be enough. And then what happens if I don't have enough? What happens if I never feel I achieved my goal? He says you will covet and you will kill. If I keep wanting and never satisfied, I will become jealous. If you guys remember the story in the scripture of Cain and Abel, they became so, his, Cain became so jealous of Abel to the point that he killed him. 
People can wish evil on other people because you're jealous. And you know what's crazy? Even if people avenge for themselves, let's say somebody did something wrong to you and you avenge for yourself, you never go home and sleep in peace. You never go home and sleep in peace. There is no war. There is no war that the two sides did not lose. There's no fight that the two people did not lose. Anytime you fight with somebody, you lose, they lose. If I'm telling them, you covet and you kill. Because you want something, I don't know what it is that I want. I keep trying to search, search, search more. I feel like I never have enough. I start looking at other people. I get envy. I get jealous. I start killing people's reputation and killing people's fame. And they're suspecting people. And then you quarrel and fight. You end up being so busy in your life doing nothing but causing problems. You keep making plans and you get nothing. Crazy. Look at the opposite in the life of St. Paul. St. Paul, who he was a rich person, but after he followed God, he became poor. Look at the end of his life in Philippi. He says, not that I speak in regard of need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to be abound. Everywhere in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to be abound and to suffer. I, do, I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. St. James says, well, the problem is, is that you don't ask. You don't pray. You want something, you don't pray for it. And you don't go to run to God. You want to depend on yourself. Well, some people say, well, I pray and I get nothing. For St. James in verse 3, he says, you ask and don't receive. Okay, sounds familiar. Why? Because you ask amiss. That you may spend it on your pleasure. What is he saying here? You're praying in the wrong way. I remember one time, one of the fathers showed me a paper that was on the altar, and all the paper was somebody wishing evil upon somebody. And they put it as a prayer on the altar. People come in front of God, God, I want this relationship. And why did you allow this relationship in my life? Constantly praying with the wrong intention for the wrong things. We almost want God to work for our own pleasure. Not according to his will, but according to our will. The problem is, even if you receive from God, you're not going to notice that you received. And if you don't notice, it'll be taken away from you. Like, look at the prodigal son. He received. He says, I want my money. I want to leave the house. I'm tired of my parents. I want to move out. Take whatever you want. He took whatever he wanted. And then what happened? 
He didn't even realize what he took. That's why when Jesus said, ask and it shall be given to you, he says, but ask first for the kingdom of heaven. Ask for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Ask for the salvation of others, for the leaders of the world, for those, for God to give the church and those who are in the church to become holy and to be gifted. That's what we need to ask for. St. James looks like he, there, there is a big problem happening. People are, are by the way, this letter, this, this letter is not for people outside the church. This was sent for people inside the church. People inside the church using earthly wisdom, using their tongues in wrong ways, facing trials in wrong ways, being driven by pride. This is people in the church. Then he, this, he, look at verse 4. He's talking to people in the church. He says, adulteress, adulterer and adulteress. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world, make himself an enemy of God. You know what he's saying? He's saying, you know that passion that you have inside your heart that runs in your members, that makes you run after the worldly stuff? This is adultery against God. You know, in the Old Testament, is a book called the book of Hosea. In the book of Hosea, God came to the prophet Hosea and told him, I want you to marry a woman. Her name was Gamor. And this woman did not love Hosea. Hosea loved her very much, but she did not love him. She was a prostitute. She was a prostitute. She keeps cheating on him, cheating on him, cheating on him. For God came to Hosea and told him, this is how I feel. I married people who cheat on me all the time. That's why the scripture said the ox knows its crib and the horse knows its manager, but my people do not know me. The donkeys knows how to go back to their owners. But my own people do not know how to go back to me. Why are we Christians? Because we're married to God. Because we're in love with him. Because he's our father. So when I'm seeking friendship with the world, I'm committing spiritual adultery with God. I'm becoming an enemy to God. Can you imagine? You walk into the church, you think you serve God, and you are his enemy. Saul the king, he was chosen by God, and later on he became an enemy to God. His own king became his own enemy. Some people became numb to breaking the commandments of God. It became normal to commit adultery against God. A life of spiritual prostitution. And people do it and they are not aware. 
They're not even aware. You know, if you, get, if you catch somebody cheating, and once you catch them cheating, they'll be like, I didn't do anything wrong. Wow, that's even worse than cheating. He says, do you think the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? He says, you think committing adultery with the world does not break the heart of God? The Bible says, likewise, the spirit also helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groaning which cannot be uttered. Like imagine what he's saying. He says the Spirit also helps us in our weakness. So imagine the time you're weak, the Holy Spirit will stand and try to advocate for you. And says, no, Rachel is a nice girl and she... And she's a beautiful lady. She's beautiful and she's just only weak and she's doing this and she's doing that and she's doing that. God, the same God who's jealous for you, is defending you. Think about the time when God looks at you and loves you because you're his child. And you're looking away for hours, 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 hours on your phone. Hours on your phone. And God just looks at you, waiting. Waiting for you to talk to him. Waiting for you to look at him. But you don't spend any time with him. God says, look, I give you money. Here is money for you. Take this money to help your brothers and sisters. Go. And you take this money... No, this money is mine. I spend it on my own self. One time I read a while ago that says, one author said that the whole world is not worthy of a man's single thought. Only God is worthy of our thoughts. But God is saying here, don't you think, don't you ever deceive yourself? Don't you think that you can come to church and think I'm just holy? He's saying that people that come to church can be enemies of God. Enemies of God. But he's the, the, what's the solution? It's verse 6, it says, but he gives more grace. So, can you imagine? People are cheating on God, God says, I'll give more grace. I'll, you know, like the, the prayer that we pray in the liturgy, when sin multiply, let your grace also abound. We're almost telling God, when we get weaker, be more merciful. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God said, you know, you know what's the biggest issue? At the bottom, at the end of the day, your pride. Why is pride a problem? Because I can't give you grace if you're prideful. I can't solve your problem if you're prideful. I want to give you, I want to help you. 
Because a prideful person does not accept the work of the Holy Spirit. Does not allow the Holy Spirit to correct them. The prideful person is always looking at other people's faults. Disrespecting people, disliking people, separating themselves from people, feeling self-pity. It's a constant problem. Remember the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector? What, what does it say at the beginning, before the parable? It says, to some who were confident in their own righteousness. He looked down on everyone and looked down on everyone else. Jesus told this parable. There were two men who went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other is a tax collector. God is saying the first step that can help us to reconcile with him is self-denial. Why? So I can receive grace. Why do I need grace? Because I want and I cannot get. I envy. I quarrel. I complain. And only the grace of God can come and cover me and lead me into healing process with God. Next week, God willing, we'll continue from verse 7. And glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.